0: Welcome to Counter-Apologetics. So today I'm joined by the non-alchemist, host of a YouTube channel of the same name, And before we get into your biography, I just wanted to mention that I appreciate your channel because you're incorporating more and more philosophy of religion into your videos, but it's distilled and communicated in such a way that you don't need an extensive background in philosophy to understand what you're saying. So it's way more rigorous and philosophically literate than many, many atheist channels, but it's not out of touch with how religion is actually practiced and with how many of us have experienced it. So I think you're striking a nice balance there. Well, thank you for that.
1: Um, I just want to say first, uh, thanks again for having me on. Uh, and before, before I toot my own horn, you know, and get too you know, <laughs> excited about your comments there, I just want to say I really do enjoy your content. And it's exciting that you're starting to break into YouTube as well, uh, you know, just so we can further lead more people to hell uh, yeah. <laughs> with, the, <laughs> with, our, with our YouTube ministries. Uh, so, uh, but yes. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Yes, I do. I go by the non alchemist. Um I, I started originally with uh, like a blog kind of screaming into the void into a blog after my deconversion and kind of moved from moved to Twitter and eventually it was a YouTube channel. Uh, and the name I don't know if you're gonna ask about the name, but the the non alchemist does come from the infamous Sam Harris passage in the letter to a Christian na- nation Though I was an agnostic when I picked that name. It's not like I agree with the completely with the sentiment, you know, that he was it just made me laugh. Like I read the yeah. paragraph and I just saw announcement and I was like, huh, that'd be a funny name. And uh it's sort of a hat tip too to like, you know, the non-stamp collector. Like some of the he has those funny videos about the Bible and Bible contradictions and stuff like that. So yeah. Uh some of that was sort of a hat tip there as well. So yeah. Cool.
0: Well, why don't you tell us about yourself and your uh, religious background and how you came to make a YouTube channel about religion? Sure.
1: Um I guess I'll start with the channel. Um my, I've said this elsewhere. Anyone that um, knows my content, my main goal is to undermine what I take to be religious fundamentalism, um, and I see that in different ways. Like, in one way, I see it as sort of an attitude, and there's also specific beliefs that sometimes go along with it. So, uh, like a, a certain kind of dogmatism towards beliefs is usually uh, a, like a feature of fundamentalism, but also there's there's specific be- specific, beef, gracious, specific beliefs. specific uh, beliefs. And so, so for example, certain uh, versions of conservative uh, inerrancy that I like to take jabs at, stuff like that. And so I see fundamentalists generally as like, they have a literalistic disposition towards their holy text, whatever it is. And that's, again, normally in conjunction with this attitude of dogmatism or, you know, some combination of beliefs that would be laughable (laughs) to most scholars. So, for example, maybe uh, they think that the Exodus or the Conquest narratives happened as depicted in the Bible, just for example. But YouTube specifically, so that's just my content in general, but YouTube specifically, why I got on YouTube, and you kind of hinted at this at the beginning, was it was kind of born out of my own frustration with the state of atheist or skeptical YouTube. Uh, it, so I would be watching. On the one hand, there's these kind of highbrow like Majesty of Reason, which is a great channel, you know, check it out. But a normal person's not going to like click on Majesty of Reason. They'd be like, "What? What the fuck is he talking about?" You know what I mean? Um, and so, but that's great. You're a great like, concept. who is
0: this energetic guy? Why is he so happy about philosophy? <laughs>
1: yes yes what do these terms mean uh anyway so yeah like that's that that is a niche that needs to be filled but at the same time there's there's this kind of really highbrow content and on the other hand there just seems to be like a lot of slapstick sort of atheist content where uh they i'm not i'm not trying to you know say that they don't make any good points but the problem is they make so many mistakes in how they present stuff that it's just easy to pick apart so atheists Mm -hmm. can just watch a video and just be like, well, they made this mistake, this deal, this mistake in theology, this mistake in biblical studies, this mistake in philosophy. And it's like, whatever they were trying to say just gets completely overlooked because they just gets nitpicked to death. I'm not saying I nitpick stuff, too, so I'm not saying you can't nitpick, but I'm just saying, in general, I started thinking, uh, why don't I try this? <laughs> you know, like, why don't I try to mm. do some popular level stuff, but be more careful? And so that's how I became a new, new atheist.
0: Mm. A <laughs> new, new atheist. Okay, yeah. So yeah. so um so- uh you were like a like a calvinist, right? Yeah. Okay. So like when I when I was going through my like religious deconversion process, there was like this these like few years of like real instability and it went from like, you know, just kind of the conservative like non-denominational Christianity that I was like raised with and then I went to this like Pentecostal church and like youth groups for like um i don't know a couple of years and then like things started getting destabilized like in that period and i kind of i wasn't like a calvinist but i adopted like a, it was like a grab bag like i just adopted a couple calvinist beliefs cuz i thought they kind of made more sense with um predestination and you know skepticism towards libertarian free will um is that like a mischaracterization they calvinists like they don't in general they don't believe in libertarian free will right correct yeah no they don't okay.
1: it's comp- It's all compatible i mean i think i think there might be a weird person like a weird scholar out there who might think that uh, most people would argue that like within the confessionally reformed tradition and generally speaking historic calvinism is not compatible with libertarian free will but i think there's i forget the guy's name but there are some scholars that are within a broadly reformed tradition that do try to kind of push the envelope and um because the reform calvinism and the reformed tradition are, are like, Calvinism usually means something very specific about, like, the five points of Calvinism. Yeah, Reformed tradition is so much more broad, where it's, like, has to do with, like, covenant theology, like, infant baptism, like, how do you view the church? Like, there's so many factors. And so, there's, there's some people within that tradition that may, the Reformed tradition, um, push certain boundaries. So, I can't, I'm not going to say completely, but yes, Calvinism, generally speaking, not compatible. Libertarian free will.
0: Right. Okay. So, I mean, were you a Calvinist, like, your whole Christian life?
1: No, not at all. I actually hated it uh, at the beginning. So I guess we can, I'll just kind of give a sketch of my uh, background and upbringing. I'll kind of move to that point and and get there. So I was raised as like an evangelical as a kid, um, sort of jumped around. Like I'd been to like blah, 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 Bible church, you know, the vineyard, which is the more charismatic uh, Baptist churches, non-denominational. I kind of went all over the place. And so being within kind of an evangelical context uh, I was, I guess my, when I would, when I got saved or something, you know, when I considered my conversion was probably around six or seven, I remember being on the top bunk, starting starting to cry because I thought I was a sinner and asking Jesus to forgive me. Uh, you know, I guess it didn't take, you know, so, um, <laughs> but so, yeah, I mean, that was kind of a standard evangelical upbringing. My parents, my home life, my parents were, were great parents, so there was not a ton of silliness. I mean, obviously, like some people's experience within evangelicalism is awful. Um. Mine wasn't. I think that might, might have had something to do with the fact that, you know, I guess we were sort of a stereotypical evangelical. Sorry about my dogs. Sort of a stereotypical evangelical family. Can so, you
0: euthanize them? Can you no. put <laughs> them down, please? I
1: don't know. I mean, I guess there'd be a, like a greater good if I did that or something. <laughs> the, the free will for me, you know, euthanizing my dogs, there's some greater good, you know, ultimately. But uh, <laughs> yeah, sorry, I interrupted. You <laughs> no, you're good. You were, like,
0: uh, so, evangelical family.
1: Yeah, so sort of stereotypical evangelical where. Like, we went to church, but it wasn't—we prayed before dinner and stuff like that, but it wasn't, like, a huge part of our everyday life. Mm-hmm. So we would go to church, and, and none of us really were avid Bible readers or anything, so it was kind of just a thing, kind of a, a folksy kind of belief. You know how you, like evangelicalism, a lot, of it, a lot of the day-to-day people, is kind of like this folk belief. Like, you, you know, you've you got to get saved, and you go to church week to week or whatever. Mm-hmm. And it's, it was never, like, a huge part of our lives anyway. But so, not to say that there wasn't any toxic elements or anything like that, though, because I do remember—my brother is an atheist uh, now but he became an atheist when he was in high school. But I do remember uh, he was, he had some doubts very early on and he was expressing those. Like he's worried that God doesn't exist. And my, my mom and I sort of swarmed him. And we're trying to get him to say the <laughs> sinner's prayer again, you know, like say the magic words. Um, so, <laughs> say the not hell words. <laughs> yes. <laughs> say the not hell words. Yes. We were trying to get him to say the not hell words, but so, the, you know, i looking back on that. That's, that's, that's pretty toxic. Cause I mean, he's just expressing his doubts and like mm-hmm. within us, it's creating fear. Like, Oh no. Like he's, he was pretty young. I mean, he, he was he was skeptical from an early age, so I think that was a lot of a lot of kids are kind of just uh, take on certain beliefs for a long time, and then they become skeptical. He was skeptical probably since he was like maybe like twelve. He was always had that kind of disposition to be skeptical, but
0: yeah, um, no, there's there's like evidence not to not to interrupt your story, but there there is right. like genetic evidence that um, there's like a you know there there are like these underlying genetic factors that. Um, could direct your religious proclivities and dispositions like in the um Minnesota study of mm. twins reared apart they found like you know many sets of identical twins and there was like a huge correlation between their religious beliefs such that um their religiosity was usually basically equal but their religion kind of conformed to the whatever area they were like adopted in so mm. there would be like a guy in Poland who was like you know a very religious catholic mm. and then there would be you know, his unknown twin brother, who was like a very devout Jew in Trinidad. So it's like their religiosity matched the others, but they just kind of adopted whatever religion was in their local environment. But yeah, there is some evidence to suggest that our like religious disposition is like, you know, strongly genetically influenced. Yeah. It's all part of God's plan.
1: There's no natural
0: explanation, you know? Um, <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's part of why I started to question free will because I, I was just, you know, I, I started thinking about like, it's very elementary point that you're a product of your genes and environment to a large extent. And if you change some of those variables, then you change the eternal consequences that someone is going to be facing, whether they're tortured for an eternity or not. (laughs) And like, it just, it depends on things that are outside their control ultimately. Um, You know, like when they were born or where they were born, you know, just certain, like, peer groups and familial groups and your genetic makeup and, you know, all these things go into your eternal fate, and it just kind of, it's just, it it seemed like predestination was just kind of unavoidable, and, like, Calvinists were the only ones who could actually look it straight in the face and not be in denial.
1: Yeah. I mean, there's definitely um, one of my other friends that I've talked to, the apostate, I mean, he came from a a reform, there's a lot of us that I kind of found on Twitter that came from a reform background, and it is, in a certain way, it is kind of not satisfying in an emotional sense, but like logically it's like, you, you know, why is there so much, why is the world the way it is? Well, I mean, God's a dick. I mean, he's got to do this for yeah. his glory, you know, like he just this, the suffering is for glory. I mean, I'm being facetious here, but like, you know, ultimately just things are kind of in this, like, not completely, it's not fatalistic. It's not mechanistic. There's lots of Calvinists that would want to say things like God uses means to accomplish his ends. And so your means of, you know, willing certain things is a way is, is used, you know, like as a secondary way for God to accomplish primary. There's all kinds of uh, ways of rationalizing, how you know this isn't uh totally determinist i mean it is a version of determinism but anyway i'm just going on a rant now but um yeah so but i do want to say this is interesting not i'll go back to calvinism in a minute but just going back to my brother uh it's it's interesting to me from this perspective thinking about like i just want to make a brief comment about apologetics so uh we were both exposed to like a lot of the popular level of apologetics growing up i mean i read Craig. I mean, I read. I listened to. Cra- I read Craig a little bit later, but I would listened to a lot of debates from Craig. I'd, I'd read like Frank Turek, Lee Strobel. I'd read all these books. Um, my brother, he didn't read as much as I did, but I, you know, he read like On Guard by Craig, which is basically the dist- distillation of Reasonable Faith for like a mm-hmm. popular audience. Which is, I mean, it's got a lot of interesting stuff in there. But mm-hmm. so we we were kind of we cut our teeth on on this popular apologetic stuff, and here we are both atheists now. And so I think that there's this naive view among some Christians that if we can just get more of this apologetics into people's hands earlier like this popular level of apologetics it's going to like somehow stem the tide of apostasy or something at least mm-hmm. be a contributing factor but you know to be frank like if the apologetics just suck and can be easily dismantled then it just ultimately it's going to backfire yeah um, you know it's in and it's fine i mean ultimately you're helping you're helping the atheists out if when you when you when you give a bunch of every frank turk book that gives gets given to someone you know an angel loses their
2: <laughs>
0: um but <laughs> <laughs> yeah you know i was just thinking about that because not to go off on too much of a tangent but i'm about to go back to manitou springs this fall where i met my wife seven years ago we just got married last year and it's going to be like our one year anniversary this fall so um we were just going to go thank you and we were just going to go back to the place where we first crossed paths which was at this like apologetics camp that i was kind of sent to because i was expressing doubts um i went like willingly but it was like strongly suggested that i go there by my mom Mm -hmm. and um and she went there on her own but anyway we met there um and i had not been as involved in apologetics like it wasn't really a part of like my religious community like my dad actually says that like apologetics books are like the one genre of christian books that he's like can't stand reading Mm -hmm. um So I I was not as, like, familiar with it. And then I, you know, I went to this, like, two-week-long camp that had, like, something like 70 or 80 hours of lectures. Like, you know, Frank Turek was a speaker there. He gave, like, probably four hours of uh, lectures. Um, I have irreparable brain damage from those four hours, but, like, it it was just, like... (laughs) Makes sense, man. (laughs) I was just, like, um, this is it? I was like, this is the defense of like, it really like was the final tipping point where, cause I was expecting, I really was going there expecting that this would be a part of my testimony. And I would be like, yeah, I was an atheist. And then, um, you know, a couple of like wise Christians just answered all my objections and, um, that did not happen, you know, instead like, I saw the, you know, defenses that were offered and I was just like, maybe God isn't real, (laughs) like really like, you know, pushed me, um. It, it had, you know, that backfiring effect that you were talking about, and um, and uh, you know, I I eventually like you know got into the uh, the better defenses, you know, like into the like Josh Rasmussen's and um, you know, Randall Rousers and people like that, and uh, but the thing is, like, as that was happening, I was also getting into the more like uh, the more rigorous defenses of atheism, like Graham Oppy and Schellenberg and stuff. So it was like just kind of this arms race where at first it was just like, Oh, this is just like a slam dunk for atheists, you know? And then once you move past that pop level into the more like philosophically rigorous material, then it, it like, you know, I, I kind of lost some of that like absolute conviction that I had. I'm still like, I still lean very, very like heavy, heavily on the atheist side, you know? Right. But, um, yeah, when I when I was first exposed to pop apologetics, I I was uh, not impressed. <laughs> yeah, but I wanted to ask you though about your transition, because when I uh, your transition, I wanted to ask you about your uh, transition from agnostic to atheist. Um, because so, when I first met you, you were an agnostic, right? Um. But then in a stunning move of arrogance, you freely chose to believe with absolute certainty that God doesn't exist. Right. So my first question is, are you omniscient? And my, <laughs> as a follow-up, <laughs> uh, as a follow-up, why do you hate God?
1: I mean, I don't know. I, the, the devil has cookies, you know, over mm-hmm. over on his side. So, um, but yeah, that's, that's true. I didn't, um, I didn't identify as an atheist till years after my, my initial deconversion from Christianity. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean that's something I can get into I guess a little bit uh, maybe a different time my actual deconversion from Christianity but specifically agnostic to atheist like so for example some of the cognitive dissonance for um, some of the theodicies of like dealing with suffering like some of that would weigh on me so you would have like these kind of ivory tower speculations about how to explain evil uh, and then when life beats you up and beats you up enough or you see life beat other people up enough you start to kind of be like are these armchair speculations really holding up like your my experience started to kind of poke but that didn't you know, that was that was a very small part of the actual deconversion from Christianity specifically. But so for ag- agnostic to atheist, I had read um Oppie's Best Argument Against God <clears throat> and Rasmussen's and Leon's Is God the Best Explanation of Things, sort of back to back. And 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 like pretty soon after that, had ha- I don't know if it was like a week or I don't I don't know the exact time frame, but shortly after that, um I'd had a conversation with my brother who my my atheist brother, and he was kind of grilling me on my agnosticism <laughs> a little bit, you know, like kind of like poking at it, like well, you know, just trying to and I was kind of defensive, you know, in the moment, but then I think, I don't know if it was right after, but at some point after that phone call, I was kind of like, huh, I think I am an atheist. Mm. You know, it kind of. it's almost something that I, I think I'd internalized, but didn't quite realize until I talked it through with someone. Like it right. took him kind of prodding like, so what do you mean by agnostic? Like, and again, if, if he'd asked us, if it had been like six months before that, I would have still been like, yeah, I'm agnostic, but I'd read those books and some of that stuff had kind of you know struck me and, and then had that conversation. I was like, wow, I think, like, I, I don't believe in God. Like, maybe I should just, it's kind of a, I realized something that I'd already kind of internalized that maybe was there before, but I was just like, yeah. Huh. Um, yeah. And ever since that moment, I grew horns and started killing people. You
0: know? Yeah. And started eating babies. But yeah. it's interesting because like, I think you and I both had that kind of, that kind of moment that a lot of atheists say they don't have, like they describe it as this gradual thing. But for me, it really was this moment where I was like, oh, I don't believe in God. Like it, it was this kind of like, moment and it had been something that was like bubbling under the surface obviously like from you know my behavior that it had been like um like a long time coming but there was this moment where i like suddenly became aware of the fact that i like didn't yeah. believe in god yeah and it and like when i introspected on it i was like i haven't believed in god for two weeks yeah, it, <laughs> but, like, I, like, didn't
1: yeah it's like i'm aware of it yeah it's not like a light bulb moment where like people converge it's like they they went from you know a position to another position it's more like you realize that you have already moved from this position and just didn't quite, you know, kind of, like, that's perfect. I think that's a perfect way of putting it. Hmm. Um,
0: well, okay, so who, why did you read those books? You read The Best Argument Against God by Oppie and um, the uh, Leon Rasmussen book. Yeah. Um, did you, were, were those recommended by someone? Um, I mean, I had been sort of, so after I had
1: deconverted from Christianity, I, Agnostic for me was in some part a placeholder. Just because I was kind of like, my whole world was kind of turned upside down. I left Christianity. And so I was like, I didn't even know if I believed it. It wasn't like I definitely don't know. It was kind of just like, I don't even know what I believe. So I think probably agnostic is the best designator for me at this point. Mm -hmm. And so that started a journey to kind of figure out, um, do I, I, you know, do I believe in God? What do I believe about like theism? And so I'd read, I think one of the earlier books I read was um, The Wisdom to Doubt by Schellenberg. It was probably, I think that might have been... I mean, other than Craig, and I read, like, Reasonable Faith. But I think, like, when I really started um, digging into philosophy of religion, that might have been the first, like, technical philosophy of religion book I've ever read. Hmm. And then I read, like, The Hiddenness Argument, and I started working my way in. Like, I think um, I'd said this in another place, too. Like, Jeff Louder helped kind of, um, as I was thinking about whether I believed in God or not, he kind of helped um, point me to the, he was kind of an intermediary to me, starting to, to kind of plunge into the deeper philosophy of religion stuff. Um Because obviously he's popularizing a lot of Draper. I haven't read a ton of Draper yet, but I, I realize that's what he's doing with his um a lot of his presentations. So anyway, yeah, so I just gradually started going down that path and following people on Twitter and just wanting to know what I believed about that because I mean, I've said this before too, where even if I had become a theist, like let's say I left Christianity and then thought, oh, theism's true. it wouldn't it would raise my credence for Christianity a little bit, but it wouldn't I wouldn't just go back to Christianity. If someone convinced me God exists right now, I'd still not be a Christian. Um I know some Atheists will disagree with that um, and think that it ra- should raise it more. But for me, based on what I think, like, miracle- approaches to miracle claims and all that kind of stuff, um, I would still be very skeptical. But yeah. anyway, not going on a tangent about that yet. <laughs> so, uh, but yeah, so I I had basically just, a, it was a, an outcome of just going deeper and deeper into philosophy of religion. And again, compared to some of the people I interact with, I'm still a newbie to some of this. But I don't know, I don't remember specifically if they were, uh, recom- I think. I mean, I've been following, like, ex-apologist, you know, Felipe Leon, and I, I saw that, um, you know, that he had co-authored that book, and I was kind of like, well, I need to read that sometime. And, of course, I would really Relay Theology, and, like, every tweet, they're like, you know, Oppie, <laughs> you know, like, and I was like, okay, I gotta read Oppie then, you know, just Oppie, Sobel, you know, Mackie, like, I just see these names over and over, and I mean, I knew I was aware of Mackie and stuff like that, um, but uh, that's that sort of, it was, it was very gradual. This was gradual, which is my... my interested in more and more philosophical topics with gradual. So yeah, so I don't remember specifically if they were recommended to me or if it was just kind of I just discovered them. Or maybe i was like, hey, Appy wrote this short book instead of I think I read um you know, I read The Best Argument Against God before I read Arguing About God's. So, I think I was like, yeah, let me start with the short one.
0: You know, because the yeah, one was like, same. Yeah. I, I didn't even start with the book. he wrote a paper that summarized the book and I read that mm-hmm. first and then I read the book. And then, yeah. And then, yeah. Um, so has your methodology for approaching this question changed? Um, I assume it has like as a result of reading those books. Um, but like, what is your methodology for approaching the question of God's existence? Like, how do you go about weighing it's like a big metaphysical question like that? So I don't, I don't know that when
1: I actually transitioned from agnostic to atheist, I don't know that there were like the methods at the time, like I wasn't thinking about any method. It was more just, I think the. I think uh, I've heard it. I didn't actually read where he said this, but I think Van Inwagen has said before where it's, he compared his conversion to theism, like the duck rabbit picture, where you just sort of um, looks like a duck, and then you start looking at it differently, and you're like, huh, maybe it looks like a rabbit more. You know, where mm-hmm. you can look at the same picture and see different two different things. I guess I would say, as I had been reading and just my my journey, um, I just started, you know, I'd, I'd seen it as a duck, and then started look, looking more and more like a rabbit. Like, huh, maybe maybe this data makes more sense if I just look at it this way. Um, so at the time of doing that there was no methodology on my mind it was just kind of like a a gradual again the actual moment i realized it was very sudden um, that i was an atheist but but in the in the time it was kind of i think gradual to whenever the point was that i internally became an atheist it was it was kind of a gradual shift of looking at the picture differently um but yeah so now i really like the thing that you did um Where? Why you said? I see you're
0: a man of good taste as well. Yes.
1: Yes. So I I mean, I really liked it because I identified with almost everything. I think pretty much everything. I was like, yeah, I pretty much agree with all of that. So one of the things you said was, it's kind of you can see value in both approaches to like the comparing the virtues of a theory versus saying like here are these lines of evidence that makes something more probable than not. And so, yeah, I definitely after I read the best argument against God, I could clearly see the value of. It was really driven home to me that like do i need god to explain anything uh and if you just compare these theories and and use these certain criteria it does seem like now. and this is another thing i think i'm i think and i I dm'd you about this maybe a couple weeks ago i think i'm getting close to just saying yes i'm a naturalist so um i might already be one and just realize it later Uh, so but um yeah so after reading that um i i really came to appreciate that approach and then I think, like Leon, in a lot of his chapters with, with Rasmussen, he kind of gives more probabilistic sorts of arguments. And obviously that's what Draper's known for and Jeff is popularized. And so it, it seems to me that you could lean into both, um, both methods. Not, I don't know. I'm not as familiar with the debate about um, the, the different maybe potential flaws with each one. I'm not, I haven't read enough to actually just say, you know, this is the best one or whatever. But it just seems that there's value to, to both different approaches, at least to me.
0: Yeah. No, I completely agree. It's it's just something that I'm, you know, trying to work through right now. Like, I'm trying to learn more about the, like, critiques of uh, Bayesian epistemology. Um, but the thing is, like, a lot of, it seems like the primary applications of Bayesianism is in, like, medicine and, and scientific hypotheses. It's like, it seems, um, you know, it, a lot of the stuff that I'm coming across, it doesn't really seem geared towards, like, metaphysical hypotheses. Um, some of it is, but... Yeah, like I said, I'm trying to work through the critiques of, of that approach, the theoretical virtues approach. Yeah, there's a lot to say, but it just seems obvious that there's something to both of these methodologies. Like whatever the shortcomings are, um, that you know that we haven't even like stumbled across yet. I mean, because the way that I approach this question is just like as an explanation, like atheism as an explanation of the world. Like I think Qu- that was Quentin Smith's project was like explanatory atheism. And that kind of seems to cover, like, both approaches in some broad sense. Like, well, a better explanation is the one that's more theoretically virtuous, and the better explanation is the one that, like, it it does a better job explaining all these various lines of evidence because it's, like, more predicted on that model. You don't need to introduce, like, a bunch of other hypotheses in order to explain the data. So, yeah, you've got multiple lines of evidence that are, like, more expected on your model and, like, very few that are unexpected. And it's, like, more theoretically virtuous, so, like, all in all, it's, like, a better explanation. But that's, like, the very general way that I kind of approach atheism, which is just as an explanation of the world that I live in. Like, theism and atheism, broadly construed, are just competing explanations for the world. And um, one of them, in my opinion, is just a lot better than the other one. But, you know, it just gets tricky because you've got to, you can't just keep it at that level you know of like atheism versus theism like you actually have to flesh out a worldview which in a lot of ways is really fun like that's kind of what started at that uh you know conference camp thing i was talking about earlier in a way i owe a huge debt to frank Turek and all these other people because they actually got me started thinking about like you know what is my worldview and like trying to build up like a, a positive worldview and it's like that task has um you know been meaningful and kept me busy for uh you know like seven years now so (laughs) um actually we are going to get into that a little bit later about like the specifics of your worldview not just like you know atheism versus theism which is like a super general like forty thousand foot view of of the debate because theism is just the proposition that god exists and like you know something like christianity goes like so far beyond that and the thing is, like, as atheists, if you actually just want to be, like, a, you know, a human being with a worldview, you, you have to, like, go way beyond atheism. You have to build up something, like, positive as well. Atheists um, never have the burden of proof. <laughs> yeah, no, we're getting into that as
1: well. <laughs> so what do you think? I know, um, so other than just, so we've talked about, like, com- comparing theories and all that kind of stuff. I know for sure, too, at least in my case, um, I know that there's no knockdown argument or anything like that. Um But mm-hmm. I, do, I do find, like, Schellen, the premises in Schellenberg's hiddenness argument at least more plausible than not, personally, mm-hmm. though, I, though I can acknowledge that there's, it's not going to, it can't trap every version of theism, because there's some wiggle room, you could just deny, you put on your tinfoil hat and deny the existence of non-resistant non-belief, or, yeah. <laughs> or you could just, you know, uh just say something like, well, like, maybe temporary non-resistant non-belief can be, like, towards some greater good, but it's not, all you know, there's all kinds of things you could kind of wiggle out there but but ultimately i think a good argument even if it's sort of deductive it's just are the premises more pro, uh more plausible than not and if you think they are then you know you're justified in accepting that argument so i think at least for me i know the hiddenness argument was one of the more and again coming from the calvinist background basically they any kind of calvinist would just say there is no non resistant non based on their interpretation of romans one but then mm-hmm. once i started kind of realizing and I've, I've made fun of this before but literally someone like that they they try to say that uh, makes such a, most Christians try to make such a fuss of the value of testimonial evidence. And then you could line up every atheist who's ever lived in front of one of these people. And they would have to say like, um, Oh, you're all, you know, you're deceived in some sense. And literally like all that testimonial evidence that they're not resisting God, you know, and then you believe that, you know, a guy came back to life and floated in the sky based on decades after the fact written, you know, accounts. Right. You know, right. We don't have to get too, too far into like that, but I'm just saying it just, it just makes, it's just funny to me. Um, the pretended emphasis on testimonial evidence in some in some circles but then in reality it's just it's just you know it's ultimately just bottom you know i i know that and again um i guess we we were going to talk about calvinism a little bit more i don't know if you want to go back to that at all or you want to move on from that
0: Um, no we we can go back yeah
1: yeah so i guess so my evangelical upbringing i started reading the bible more seriously um i mean i was always kind of a christian um and took i took it seriously in the context that i knew how but when i was around i think it was. My graduation gift, my aunt and uncle gave me, Don't Waste Your Life by John Piper. And so, mm-hmm. um, and and you know, he's, he has a way of packaging, um, like happy joy, you know, like pursue, I don't know if you've read anything, but like, he has a way of packaging Calvinism, where he just emphasizes like, um, you know, God is most glorified when you're most satisfied in him and blah, blah, blah. So like, I read that book, and it was basically just like sell your life out, but like, it was a kind of one of those sell your life out for Jesus kind of books. And so I was not a Calvinist, I hated Calvinism, thought it was evil, basically. But then I read that book, and I was like, you know... As a you know, as a young young person who took you know love Jesus, I was kind of like yeah, like this this kind of like I need to I actually want to do something with my life and like make a difference and all that kind of stuff, and so I didn't become a Calvinist after reading that, but it definitely made me like okay okay John Piper, I might I might listen to some of what you say in other contexts you know because you wrote this good book, and so uh, anyway I started taking Bible reading and, and I was involved in like college and stuff like different um, like with the college groups and stuff like that, and I started reading the Bible roughly once a year um since i was 18 or 19 um and so that i mean, a lot of my i haven't read you know, like there's people like the amateur exegete who like just reads biblical studies all day and reads greek and stuff i'm not anywhere close to, to that kind of knowledge but i have read the bible over and over many times so like i have this kind of um lay level very high knowledge of the bible just in that sense but mm-hmm. yeah so i started taking my faith more seriously and kind of was kind of, I don't know if any of your listeners or you understand, like, the new Restless reform movement. It's like this evangelical. Anyway, there's this, there's this resurgence of Calvinism within, like, a lot of evangelical um, churches, like the Southern Baptist Convention, a lot more. There's it's just basically this kind of movement where people started taking Calvinism more seriously, even outside of Reform circles. And so I guess I would have considered myself an evangelical Calvinist, even though I was, like, a Baptist and all this kind of stuff. But then eventually moved towards the more confessionally Reformed, uh, like, Presbyterian, like, Westminster Confession of Faith. Like I don't know, there's all these. I don't know how far we how far into the weeds we want to get with this, but um, yeah. So became a Calvinist, and it it definitely was one of those things where transitioning from someone that you know hates the idea of Calvinism to to basically like believing it, it's kind of you you have to. It's one of the things that people people often that aren't inside a community often wonder like how can someone believe that because ultimately they're saying God is going to ultimately. God chooses who to go to heaven and who to torture forever. Basically,
2: um, mm-hmm. it
1: has to, it's completely based on His choice, and and ultimately, like, uh, yes, you're responsible for your sin, but you know, God mysteriously, in this causal way, causes ultimately causes you to sin in a way that He's not responsible. All these kind of metaphysical assumptions you have to bake. Yeah, into this. no,
0: I think Christianity is weird too. Oh, you're <laughs> yeah. just talking about Calvinism. <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah, no, no, it, it is. I'm just saying, yeah. I'm I'm just saying from the perspective of outsiders from, from Calvinism specifically, it's it's definitely one of those things where um, it's kind of like. You know how uh, I think C.S. Lewis. You know he uses the lion for Aslan, like the character of the lion. and I think there's one where he talks about like there's this kind of a beauty and the untamedness of a lion or something like that. And so I think what what Calvinists a lot of Calvinists do is they kind of view God as this lion figure, like is like so untamed. So they kind of revel in the fact that he it's kind of like Islam. I don't know a bunch about Islam, but I'm just saying in general, like total submission is kind of like this untamed being that you don't you have no, no like you own nothing about that being, and so it's kind of like. <laughs> this is i don't know if i should say this but kind of like spiritual bdsm (laughs) so so it's kind of like you you start to uh i don't know know if i should say that but no go into more detail (laughs) No, but you (laughs) really carry out the analogy no but i think it's funny because it is like i thought about this today as i was thinking about this and i told my wife and she she started laughing but um i'm not saying you know i'm not trying to give any i'm just saying um the idea is that uh you know you kind of you're in this total submissive position. God chooses whether you go to hell or not. You don't even know for sure. All you can know is that, are you believing now or not? And that might, deter, you know, might show whether you're elect or not. And so it's kind of just this total, total like helplessness that you start to kind of love <laughs> hmm. in a way. Trick, not, not necessarily trick yourself into loving, but um, that might be a bad analogy. People might get mad at me for that, but- I think it's, it's just fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, it's, it's just kind of one of those things. That, like, so I'm trying to explain from the inside how, how people kind of like revel in it. And that is, it's kind mm-hmm. of like this untamed God kind of like people question how people revel in Islam. It's like something, this, this thing that's so bigger than me just has so much control. And like, you'd start to be like, yeah, yeah. You know? So mm. anyway, that's, I just went on a rant, a rant about Calvinism. So
0: no, you're right. The Calvinism is evil. It's just, it happens to be a better explanation than other forms of Christianity of the world, I think, but no, you're, you're definitely, you're, I think you're definitely onto something there. But um, yeah, pushing off responsibility onto God, like, it is a relief for a lot of people and i've seen it happen like not even just in like a like really broad kind of like um you know intangible like kind of way but like directly with specific tasks like when they think that the holy spirit is guiding them into doing something instead of it just being them it's like the responsibility is pushed off and it's like oh that was a relief and then they suddenly have more confidence to speak or do whatever it is that they're doing because it's like well it's not even me it's this other guy who's in charge ultimately and um yeah, I mean, I, I've seen that um, in real time. And also it's um, it's a little bit exhausting to become an atheist in that way, because you didn't realize how much burden was being carried by God and by like, you know, your religious beliefs, where it's like suddenly, the responsibility is on you. Like if you think that the world is unjust, no one is doing anything about it unless you do something about it. You know, so it's like there there isn't this like all wise, all good being who's like superintending over everything who's gonna make sure that the world is just in the end, ultimately. It's like, no, the the bad guys really could win, and then that would just be the end of it. Like that's a real possibility. And um, like I said, it's like this incredible increase in responsibility that it it is kind of like tiring in a way.
1: Well, that's interesting. Um yeah. I don't wanna so well, first, the Holy Spirit, you know, told me to break up with my girlfriend, you know, <laughs> that's, what they, that's what they do. Um, you know, it's not it's not me. It's the Holy Spirit. Um, but it is, it's funny, though. It is like you do have to take more responsibility. I was actually I just I don't know if you saw this one, but I interviewed Derek uh, Lambert from Myth Vision podcast. And his story is um, he was like a hardcore drug addict, um, like heroin, like hardcore drug addict. And actually deconverting from Christianity, like helped him get clean and stay off of drugs. Because it's like I got one life. Like I, I have. It's not you're not no longer. To, so I'm just. It's it's interesting that there's different ways of conceiving of this. Where some people, you know, some people might look at a story and just be shocked and be like, how, you know, that just, you know, uh, all my categories are are you know shocked because I uh, normally you hear people finding something bigger than themselves and they get over it. But you know, I think that there might there's probably more like him where some of these beliefs are actually holding people back. Not some people holding some people back when in reality, you know, giving them up changed his life in,
0: in different ways. I just thought that was interesting. Just a side note. Mm-hmm. Yeah. so you mentioned the hiddenness argument a moment ago is like one of the stronger arguments for atheism because you just don't see like i mean it's like these premises just like they seem kind of undeniably true and then the conclusion follows uh oh and i also i do totally sign on to that approach as well like i love that approach of just creating these you know like premise one premise two conclusion arguments and then just saying like both of these premises are way more plausible than not Mm -hmm. So the conclusion is more plausible than not. Like, I think that's also, like, a really, um, like, fruitful way of approaching the discussion. Um, But yeah, there are a couple arguments like that for me as well, where it's like, you know, I I can acknowledge that there are, there's some conceivable Christian response to this, even if it's like a really weird Christian view. Like, Mm -hmm. this ultimately isn't like a knockdown decisive proof, but it's like. You just, sometimes you have to go to weird places to answer some of these arguments, you know, and, like, you have to just keep adding and adding and adding and, like, all these, like, hypotheses and, you know, auxiliary beliefs that, like, are in some cases are just, like, not popular in Christian Mm -hmm. circles. And it's like, well, if this is the truth, you know, why isn't God kind of ensuring that this is what the people who follow him believe? Like, he's supposedly, like, communicating revelation um continually you know according to many christians and yet only a tiny minority of christians have apparently figured out you know the truth anyway so i think that there are arguments for atheism like the teleological argument from evil or like versions of the hiddenness argument where it's just like i just don't see how this could be wrong you know like i i just like it really does seem but i just have to like recognize like on an intellectual level that like no there are christians who are sincere christians who have like you know, their Christianity, like, stands up against this argument better than, like, 99% of Christians. But right. anyway, so the hiddenness argument, that, that's a good— Are there any um, theistic arguments that you think are the most interesting or, or the most, uh, you know, have the most potential?
1: I guess, I guess I would say maybe the more complex contingency arguments. <laughs> and I don't know if that's because I haven't— it's, Maybe it's because of the, it's the kind of form that I least understand compared to the others, and I just haven't dug into it enough. So that might be why I am more impressed with them, just because I, I do think they're, they're a little more complex to kind of sort out all the metaphysics, you know, involved in all these moves that people are making. Uh, but I will say for sure, like when people try to go to the stage two kind of inferences, my eyebrows start to raise. So okay. you know <laughs> what I mean. So yeah. I, I definitely have an issue there. even though I wouldn't be able to kind of pinpoint and go elaborate too far on it now. I guess off the cuff, I would say probably, probably those. Or, but I would say uh, I'm actually finishing up The Existence of God by Swinburne now. Uh, hmm. Probably within the next couple of days. So I guess some, it's kind of similar to the atheist approach, I guess, combining these different uh, lines of evidence that seem more probable on, on theism than something else and kind of trying to make a cumulative case. I guess that would probably be the best shot for theism. Um, the, the, I will say for sure that there are several places as, as I'm reading this Swimmer book that I rolled my eyes. I can be sympathetic to like, the project that he's, that he's embarking on, even though, so this is funny. I actually, there's a passage I read that I highlighted super annoyed i highlighted it in anger it lo and behold on the theist posting their ls it popped up a <laughs> screenshot i don't know if it was you or chris but it was it popped up and it was like swinburne having a real one or something like that i don't know if that was you or chris but uh it was the same passage that i was like I was like oh my god like i just i remember like i was reading on my phone and i kind of like put my phone down it was like about yeah. animals it was about animal suffering or something i just read the passage and i was like you know geez.
0: <laughs> yeah. He was trying to answer the problem of evil or just like offer some suggestions. And like, it, just what he was saying, I, I think I literally have it saved on my phone. Like I, I don't have my phone next to <laughs> me, but like I read it and I was just like, yep, yeah, God's not real. <laughs> like if this is <laughs> to, like, I should actually in a, uh, in post, I'll like put it up on the screen or something just for a moment so people can read what we're talking about. I don't have it in front of me, but. So it
1: was you, it was you that took that screenshot. Then.
0: Yeah. 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 It, it, <laughs> I mean, just, like, he was talking about, like, (laughs) I can't even do it justice, man, because it's going to sound like I'm lying or something (laughs) if I (laughs) try to characterize it. But, yeah, no, I mean, your your answer is the boring one, but it's the correct one, which is just that the cumulative case for theism is, like, you know, that's their best shot, just like it is for atheism. Like, there's no one argument, I think, that's going to be, like, you know, it's really going to, like oh, wow, I'm a theist. It does happen for some people, you know, but um, it wasn't like that for me as an atheist, um, where there was just, like, one argument that really persuaded me. It was, you know... And plus, if you're forming a worldview, you want to consider all the evidence. You're not just going to want to consider, like, stray pieces of evidence that, like, support your worldview more than others. Like, you want to consider the total evidence, like, every line of evidence. So any cumulative case is kind of, like, you know, it's unavoidable, and you, you don't want to avoid it. So one of the things that's interesting to me, too, is like realizing, and I mean, I should realize this before,
1: but, you know, everyone can explain everything if they want. Like, you can pick, mm-hmm. um, like, yeah. I remember Stephen Law gave an example of, you know, he's like, well, uh, he gave the example of uh, dogs are alien spies or something.
2: yeah, um, And
1: <laughs> and he was like, it's like, you know, like, imagine someone that believes that, like, talking to someone trying to object and it's like, well, you know, the dogs have transmitters in the brain. Well, but we open the brain, we can't see any transmitters. Ah, but they're part of the organic matter and mm-hmm. just keep going and going and going. And so really. Again, that's the complicated things with these worldview discussions. Is that it's not as if we can't all explain this. We just have to start to ask who is who is the who is rationalizing? Who is? Not. I mean, one of us is probably rationalizing certain amounts of data to fit our worldview. Do I think it's me or do I think it's my opponent? And I'm not saying you should accuse you know in a conversation accuse people of rationalizing stuff, but I'm just saying right. you should accuse
0: them of committing informal logical
1: fallacies. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, so yeah, I mean, it's just one of those things where you realize, and it too, this is the thing too. As an atheist, I remember as a Christian. And I know people throw around the cognitive dissonance thing, but I, I do feel like I feel so much more like uh, I feel like less, not that I had anxiety, but just when, I, when people dis- disagree with me, I'm not a Christian. I mean, there's that baked in like you want them to go to hell and all these other things. But there's this, at least for me, and I think a lot of people that have walked away, there's a little bit of an insecurity to kind of defend what you believe now as an atheist and like a Christian, that's all gone. Like I just people disagree with me I'm like, OK, like I just mm-hmm. I think I think what I think and I have no like. I don't have this internal struggle to like try to justify what I believe anymore. That's the same. It's, I know, you know, some people may or may not identify with that, but to me now I feel like way more free to just kind of follow the evidence wherever I think it actually goes than I did before, because I was kind of locked into this uh, system, I guess.
0: Yeah. And that, you know, that point about rationalizing, it's like, there are things that like, you know, neither side is considered and you need to like, you know, explain, um, you know, data that hasn't been brought to your attention before and that sort of thing, and people make objections that you hadn't considered. And you know, so it it sometimes is is like uh it, it's okay to like build on your worldview and stuff like that and like flesh it out a bit more, but to the rationalizing point, it's like um, you know, so Randall Rouser made this point actually, which is I think a good way of like illustrating um that you know, you start out with, like, kind of, like, a basic worldview, and then you become aware of evidence that's, like, kind of, like maybe against it, and, like, arguments against it, and, like, more and more arguments for it, and um, you need to, like, make adjustments to it. So sometimes um, people will say, like, oh, like, ba- this Bayesian approach is, like, so subjective, because you say things like, well, it's more expected on this hypothesis, or more surprising on, on that hypothesis, Like, and people are like, isn't that totally subjective? And it's like, well, not really, because you can tell based on Whether they have to add more explanation in order to account for the data? Like, do they have to build on top of the model? And, you know, sometimes it's ad hoc, like sometimes it's not. And, um, you know, but the point is, you have to add these like auxiliary hypotheses in order to explain the data. Like, people will start out with, you know, like uh, theism, and then people make arguments from evil, and then they need to add like all these other explanations. They need to like, build and build and build and build on this um you know originally fairly simple idea to the point where it's it's just like so at, at some point you're just going to say okay I, I am rationalizing i'm like adding too much stuff and like the way the rouser illustrated this was like if you have a car and you're driving along and then all of a sudden something breaks and it's like a couple hundred dollars to fix it um so that's like you know a theoretical cost or some kind of evidence that's um you know against oh sorry just to finish the point i made a moment ago like um if something is surprising on a hypothesis you have to like add um more explanation you have to like build on the model and if it's uh expected then it just seems to be in the best case just entailed by your model you Mm -hmm. know like or like it's at least so expected that it just seems to like fall out of the hypothesis you know um so, like, on a hypothesis of indifference, like, you would expect kind of, like, a mix of good and evil because the universe is indifferent, you know, whereas, like, on an evil god hypothesis, you would expect the world to be hell, you know, because he just wants to design nature to maximize, like, suffering and evil and so on. So, it's, like, you'd have to build on that explanation and add stuff to explain why there's so much good in the world, um, you know, like, uh, well, anyway, that's a whole other conversation. But I—that's I, well, another like, thing.
1: You're, you reminded me that evil god uh, challenge. Yeah. I do think there is something to that. I mean, I yeah, know, me know like, not, not, you can't demonstrate, but I do think kind of this. You know, if if, if it's true that we can kind of, even if you want to, re- I know people try to uh, an evil god is impossible, blah blah blah. But even if we just say like a god that takes pleasure in suffering or something like that, to like stop using moral terms, yeah, uh, you could still prima facie just kind of look around and be like, no, I don't think that god exists. So I think, yeah. I think you can flip it and say a god that like delights in our ultimate well-being which is what a lot of theists would want to say prima facie you can just look around and be like nope don't think so <laughs> so i think uh you know, i think you can kind of to me that's an, i forgot about that one but yeah I, I do think that it's more of an i don't know if it's really an experiential argument it's kind of the way i approach it is more like prima facie like obviously because you could be you can counterbalance it but just right. kind of a look around you know you can kind of if you can kind of rule it out with the some ultimate being is is trying to Ultimately, hurt everyone. You can kind of look around and say, "Like, no, I don't think so. I think you can do it. You can flip it. I think that's that perfectly plausible to
0: flip it around." Yeah, especially when you just constrain it to the data of good and evil. Because, like, a lot of people who have complaints about it, like, they have complaints about you know the the actual like attributes of this like evil god, and like, well, how could that be a necessary being? And they have all these like you know objections along those lines. And I I don't know if those work or not. But like, I just try to constrain it to the data of good and evil, Mm -hmm. where it's like. No, like just as an explanation, it's basically as good of an explanation as a morally perfect supremely benevolent god because the facts are that we have this mixture of good and ill. And yeah, it just seems like the idea that there's a malevolent god who wants everyone to suffer and wants the world to be filled with evil, you could come up with like anti-theodicies that exactly mirror theodicies that could yep. explain why there's good in the world. Um yep. so it's just like on that in that realm of the problem of evil or the problem of good, it's like on exactly equal footing. It seems to me, but um, to find, (laughs) I keep distracting myself from Randall's car analogy, but so it's like, you're driving this car and there's a cost, you know, it's like a $200 repair, but it's cheaper than buying a new car. So you just get the repair. And then a little while later, there's another thing that breaks down and then another thing and another thing and another thing. And at some point you just get a new car. Right, You know, like at some point you're just, you're not, you're going to stop getting this thing repaired and you're just going to start over with a different vehicle. And like, that's kind of the position that everyone is in, not just Christians, but it's like, if, if I, had, like, there's no way I could have remained a Christian based on like my starting point, you know? Cause like the type of Christian that I would be like, the type of Christianity that I think is most plausible right now mm-hmm. is virtually nothing like the type of Christianity that I grew up with and that I like, um, would subscribe to presently were I to become a Christian. So it's like, it's just like at some point, you know, this car is just, you're, you're at, you're having to replace stuff. You're adding stuff and changing stuff. And at some point you just say, okay, enough is enough. This isn't working out. Like I need something else. And um, that point is subjective. It's like different for everybody. Right. Um. But at some point, You're you're just going to make the calculation that, like, I have had to make so many adjustments to this worldview just to accommodate basic data that I just need to start over. And like like I said, I don't think there's really an objective way to decide, like, when you should do that or not. It it is ultimately, like, you know, like, up to you personally. But anyway, I like that analogy, like starting with something basic and then you need to keep altering it and adding to it and changing stuff. And eventually you're just going to get a new car. So we might as well talk about it, everyone's favorite subject, the issue that never fucking goes away, the definition (laughs) of atheism. Um, I mean, why not? Everyone's talking about it um, always. Eternal recurrence is real, and it has to do with this issue. So uh, we should just start off by saying that, of course, anyone can stipulate any definition of any term that they want. But that said, uh, where do you come down on the whole, like, uh, lactheist issue? Yeah, I definitely side
1: with Oppie and others where I think the best way to frame these conversations is that atheism is the belief that God doesn't exist or something something like that. Roughly something like that. Um, and that being said, I do... like I had Oppie on and, and I asked him this question too because I was... Um, and I was actually kind of surprised that Rationality Rules used my clip at the end of his recent video. I didn't know that he was going to do that. Um, but yeah, so I, I basically asked him kind of a question like that and he basically said, he's like, yeah, I don't really care. People use it differently. I, I sort of take that kind of... I think that the obvious definition is correct, but I sort of take his attitude to where um, I recognize, I sort of recognize the lack of belief the definition is valid in the sense that so like, for example, the Oxford Dictionary of Philosophy has a lack definition in there as an option. Um, it's, not, it's not as widely circulated across like philosophical stuff. Um, so it's not like predominant. But if it's starting to sneak into stuff like that, then I think it's important to just say, okay, it's valid. I will admit it's valid, though ultimately not helpful. That's my opinion. Um, so with that being said, I don't normally pick fights about it, but the, the, I have some caveats, though, <laughs> uh, some huge caveats. So, as you know, and people that enter into these conversations, the lack definition does have a tendency to be connected to certain attitudes uh, towards like burden of proof and things like this. And so, if it just on the surface, if someone is defining a certain way, I usually don't um, care. But if I see like a certain attitude is accompanying that, then I might be more inclined to step in and be like, you know, <sighs> don't try to i mean again burden of proof i want to say too can be context dependent so if you're walking down the street and some street preacher comes up to you and says believe repent and believe the lord jesus christ or something you might say in that in that situation you might not accept any burden of proof at all so like, okay tell me why tell me why i should accept the lord jesus christ in my or you know, whatever you need to give me the case so i understand that you know not everyone has like the burden of proof in every situation so I'll preface that but in these kind of more complicated worldview discussions where you're comparing what makes the best sense of reality then it is, it is, you know, it is the case that you do have an atheist does have some sort of burden to say, if you're coming on equal terms to these discussions to say why they have certain, why, why do they not believe in God? What reasons do they have? So that's my little spiel. Uh, I try, I guess I generally try not to let things get in the way of productive conversations, if possible. So I, th- I think sometimes quibbling about definitions can be counterproductive. But at the same time, again, that's with my caveats that I just kind of laid out there. So I don't know yeah. what, your, what your thoughts are on that.
0: No, no, I, I, I completely agree. It's just, um, yeah, like, of course, you can, as long as we're clear about how we're using the terms, then it's fine. But there are, in my view, there are reasons to prefer the, um, you know, the philosophical definition, like the, yeah. um, the, like, I think Rationality Rules called it the metaphysical definition. Mm-hmm. Or it's like, there, there are reasons for preferring that. And, like, this isn't just a conversation about the definition of a word. Like like you point out, like it's connected to other things, like the burden of proof and also to um whether you can actually give reasons for your view like the like a lot of people adhere to the laxiest definition because it's sometimes it's it's initially counterintuitive, like how could you give reasons in favor of a negative proposition like God doesn't exist, How would you like argue for that by giving evidence? you know mm-hmm. so it's like initially. I think that a lot of people feel that way, and, um, like, if you say that it's not just a lack of belief and they don't just have to reject theistic arguments and then, like, affirm the null hypothesis or something, they wouldn't know what to do. Like, they, they wouldn't know how to make a case for atheism, like, other than that. Mm-hmm. Um, but like it's been laid out extensively over the centuries, actually. But you know, especially in the last few like decades, like there's a way. There are many ways to make a case for atheism that doesn't just rely on like attacking theistic arguments and then just saying like, "Well, that's all I have to do." Um, well, that's one of so, the.
1: Things, sorry, I'm not trying to interrupt, but, um. That just that makes me rem- that reminds me of the whole like I think like oppie's approach would be some atheist the way they look at it might just be something like that like you don't need God to explain anything that's a reason that you don't believe in God. I mean, you could say, like, you could, I mean, that kind of whole best argument against God thing where you compare, I mean, he's comparing naturalism and theism and stuff, but I'm just saying this whole idea of how can you give reasons? Well, you might just say, I can account for all this data without appealing to your deity, like, period. Like, I mean, you could give other reasons other than that, but, I mean, there are, you don't have to, it's not, I don't know, I feel like some of them look at it in a way that is not um, completely helpful. I mean, there's there's philosophically rigorous arguments to the extent of, like, we'll compare these two ways of looking at the world, I don't need your stuff Right. Explain it. I mean, and I think that's. I think at at best, that's sometimes what they're trying to say. Like, I don't have. I I have. I lack reasons to believe. Blah blah blah. I think if you, the most charitable interpretation I could possibly give that is to
0: say something like, I don't need what you're saying to explain anything. Like, um. So I mean, that's a well. Then they should learn how to formulate that into an argument instead of just saying like, I don't need arguments, which is what I usually hear from them.
1: No, I totally agree. I just. I wonder if some of it has to do with just. I don't know if it's just not being informed or just. they just don't care. I, and there's all kinds of
0: explanations for what it might be, but yeah. yeah. no, no, it's like, um, I, I mean, it's also just like, if you could argue that God doesn't exist, not just that, you know, you lack a belief, like if you could just hypothetically make a case for that position, God does not exist. Wouldn't you rather like, isn't that a more desirable position? It's a stronger position. And, you know, it's, um it's stronger, like, philosophically, like, it would be better if we could justify the claim that God doesn't exist. Obviously, not with absolute certainty. The fact that even has to be said is so annoying, but, like, Mm -hmm. um, yeah, if we could justify that claim that God doesn't exist, that would be better than just the Lactheist claim. So, it's, like, even, like, it's just, it's a better position. It's more desirable. It's also, like, psychologically more compelling. When our friend August mentioned this to me, where he's, like, you can imagine two conversations where you say, Why are you an atheist? And you say, well, it's a lack of belief and I'm not convinced. And then it's just like 30 minutes of like just tedious squabbling about like who has the burden of proof and like whether or not the theist is committing logical fallacies or something. Or you can say, why are you an atheist? And then you can give reasons. You can say like, well, atheism is a better explanation of nature than theism. You can say that like, um, you know, naturalism is more theoretically virtuous as a model, as an explanation than theistic hypotheses you can say that there are many lines of evidence that are surprising on theism and very few lines of evidence that are surprising on naturalism you can say that theism has these internal tensions and uh you know potentially these problems with coherence Mm -hmm. and you can say that well if if you want to know why i reject christianity then you know we can talk talk about like the work of bard Ehrman or something like that actually seems like a way more fertile ground for like a productive dialogue and for like pursuing truth by just saying okay i'm an atheist here are the reasons why i'm an atheist as opposed to this like thing that always strikes me is just kind of slippery as like oh i don't have to give reasons i don't have the burden of proof like it's just more intellectually defensible it's more philosophically desirable it's just like it's a better position like so even like even if you are a lactheist, wouldn't you rather be an atheist? (laughs) Like, wouldn't you rather be like, or whatever, like a positive atheist or whatever you want to call it? Like, it's just, it's a stronger position. It's kind of like, as a very rough analogy, you could think of like a fideist, you know, who thinks Mm -hmm. that like, well, I just think that you have to make the leap of faith to believe in God. Like, that's what you have to do. And it's like, okay, well, if natural theology, like trying to prove God through like evidence, um, if natural theology worked, wouldn't that be better? Like, as a theist, you know? Like, if it wasn't just a leap of faith, and, like, you could give strong reasons and, like, good evidence to support your belief in theism, wouldn't that be more desirable than just making a leap of faith? Like, it would be nice if natural theology worked, right? Like, if if I was talking to a fideist, I would at least want to know, like, wouldn't it be better? Wouldn't wouldn't you prefer if that were the case, that natural theology actually worked? Um, Anyway, that's kind of how I see the distinction between the the two camps here where it's like wouldn't you rather i was right (laughs) like wouldn't you rather this like stronger position that god doesn't exist yeah because you can justify that (laughs) you actually can yeah i don't think that ever
1: came up um at least when I agnostic to atheism i just didn't really care like new atheist stuff was had nothing to do with my deconversion from christianity or even my move to atheism it did nothing i mean i read some of it like i read some sam harris i read um what else did i read i didn't read too much i really didn't read a ton of the new atheist stuff Honestly. but, I mean, yeah. Do you mind if I talk a little bit about deconversion from Christianity specifically, too, before I don't forget about that? Yeah,
0: sure. No, I just want to mention, though, I did read The New Atheists, and I did like them, and they had something to do with my <laughs> conversion. Um I eventually, like, anyway. I still, I, I, I eternally owe them a debt of gratitude for getting me to, uh, you know, question religion and introducing me to philosophy and stuff. But, um, yeah. yeah. Well, that's actually, well, I, I guess while we're on that, <clears throat> I was going to say, too, that I
1: think, um this reminded me, too, of our last conversation, um, not the debate, but where we were talking about new atheists and how like Christians are so obsessed with new atheists and all that kind of stuff. Um, I just think it's, I don't know, I think it's funny. That's why I was jokingly using the new new atheist kind of thing, because I, I think part of it is, part of it, some some of it is, like, they want to correct um, their bad misconceptions. But I think some of it, honestly, is that they're they're sort of kind of, their attitude, and, and they went overboard some, but, like, the, the spiciness that they started engaging some of these fundamentalist religious, they don't like that. A lot of theists don't like that. Mm-hmm. And so, um You know, like I said at the beginning with my YouTube channel, I'm not as obnoxious as the new atheist, but I do um, involve snark sometimes. You know, and especially when I'm criticizing beliefs that I think are particularly harmful or dumb. Um, And so that's why I kind of jokingly—I don't know if I might might put it on my Twitter just as a joke—but it is like I I do. um, I think some of it is—I don't want to speculate too much—but like an insecurity about (laughs) their their attitude towards theism. I think some a lot of popular in America they weren't being used to they weren't used to being talked to like that. Mm-hmm. you know what i mean like yeah it's a recent thing yeah yeah like someone actually saying you know what like fuck this like <laughs> just so i don't think anyone was kind of ready for that and so i think some of the reactions to the new atheists they might they might say it is just because oh they made all these dumb mistakes i think some of it is kind of like a reaction to like you don't need to get to talk to us that way you mm-hmm. know what i mean so i think um yeah I, I, don't, I don't think we should um you know i know there's some people whose project is to be nice and hold hands and sing Kumbaya. that's not quite my project especially with fundamentalism uh so yeah but, but anyway uh yeah yeah when
0: it comes to like fundamentalism and the the harmful aspects of religion it's like having someone like Christopher Hitchens get up there and just sneer at it like it's it not only is it like justified it's like it's a good thing it is a good thing that people get up there and sneer at harmful beliefs you know yeah. and it's like you know whatever else you can say about them like they were good at making fun of religion and like yeah the the people in my life who were like aware of the new atheists they just hated them because they made fun of their beliefs. Like they, they weren't like, it's not like the people in my life were like, you know, philosophy majors who were just like, Oh, they know nothing of epistemology. It's like, no, they weren't doing that. They were just mad that they were being made fun of. (laughs) Like that was it. And like you said, they weren't used to it. It's like, they had this kind of place of societal privilege. And you know, you, I mean, you can tell because every time they're not shown like utmost deference and respect, they act like they're being oppressed and they're just moments away from being shipped off to like an internment camp or something. (laughs) Like literally someone said to me during that time that like Christians will soon be rounded up and sent to internment camps. And I'm like, who is going to be doing that? Like 70% of the country.
1: The atheists are are being mean. Um, yeah, that, that reminds me there was a meme i shared um like a long time ago there's like this picture of the guy he's like on the fetal position and he's like got his head under the water and he's got like his face like peeking out of the water he's like like it's like and I, like the the tagline was kind of like you know christian oppression like in the west or something like that like he's like he's, he's in shallow water and he's like in the fetal position and his face is like sticking up but, um i thought that was a funny image basically for exactly what what you just said there um
0: yeah and just for the record no new atheist has ever said anything as unhinged as christians are about to be sent to internment camps because like based on the fact that someone is being like yeah i don't think this is true and it's also harmful and stupid like that was a real thing that someone said to me that they sincerely believed and it's just like i'm sorry i've never heard richard dawkins say something (laughs) that (laughs) that compares to that uh anyway
1: i don't get it um yeah, just briefly, though, I do want to say that Christianity, because theism, atheism, didn't have a ton to do with it, I do want to say um, a little bit about that. Uh, and it's definitely hard to boil down exactly what leads to deconversion, but I'll try. I would say, first, Christianity specifically, and I've said this in other places, that I sort of had a built-in, I don't think I would have acknowledged it as such, but like a human skepticism towards miracle claims. Um, I did kind of dabble within kind of a little bit charismatic stuff for a small part of my Christian journey, but at the end, again, I was a confessional Calvinist, I didn't really... Thought a lot of the charismatic stuff was not correct and it was a lot just kind of hysteria so anyway I had this kind of humean skepticism towards miracle claims and because of that uh, there was again this is kind of ties back around there was multiple lines of evidence uh, that were holding up my resurrection belief so or like you could look him at them at as like pillars or something like that so like uh, thinking that the Bible was divinely inspired, uh, that my religious experience was trust- trustworthy, generally speaking, that there was prophecy of Jesus in the Old Testament, or that the, the testimonial evidence we had for Jesus and the resurrection was better than I think it is now, and so um, once those pillars started sort of cracking, and I still sort of had the human skepticism intact, I was just I just found myself like not believing it anymore. Um, I know personally, like if I. Um, I mean personal experience was big because within like the Reformed tradition, like the there's the different confessions that kind of guide the more confessional reform theology. And, and one of the things it says is like, you know, the way you ultimate like it'll give it says, like, well, the way we know scriptures, um, the word of God is because it fits together in all these ways, blah, blah, blah. But at the end, it just says the ultimate way you know is because the Holy Holy Spirit testifies, you know, in your heart that this is the word of God. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I did I did place a heavy emphasis on not religious experience in the sense of like this charismatic gathering and like got to sing the songs and the key change makes the Holy spirit appear. None of that. Mm -hmm. Um, It was more just kind of like this internal sense that like, when I read the, when I read the Bible, like God is somehow like I I sense that God is speaking to me. Um, Even if it's kind of like in a low level way, it's not necessarily like, Oh my gosh, God is talking to me. Like not like that. But so that was big for me. But when I started all those different things started kind of being eroded, just, uh, I just didn't find myself believing like wow the resurrection. It just didn't seem plausible to me unless it was held up by all these other things. Um, and I will say too that the the process I'm sure others can identify the process of leaving the church and stuff is is definitely personally frustrating because you can start to see how shallow some of the church relationships are that you might have thought were stronger than they were. Yeah, um, and then you start to walk away and realize, no, oh, that's I thought that we had a you know closer relationship than we did, but then you see how people react to different things and you're like, oh, that's kind of disappointing.
0: Yeah, you know? yeah. No, I was recently at a wedding with some like family and like church members who I haven't seen in a long time. And it was just interesting, like the people who gave me the cold shoulder and the people who were like excited to see me, like, mm-hmm. you know, like the people, like it was just, it, it, they just kind of were sifted through, like the people who I actually was right, like, no, I did have like a friendship with them or whatever. And other people where it's like, as soon as I left the tribe, they're just like, fuck you, you're dead to me. Yeah. And it was, yeah, it was, just, it's kind of like shocking a couple of times because, you know, I don't really feel that way <laughs> towards Christians. I'm not just like, you're dead to me. It's like, no, it's mm-hmm. just, it's a one way street of like, uh, You know, and a lot of religious, or a lot of uh, atheists, like, deal with this kind of from their families. Um, You know, it's, uh, like, as as soon as you become an atheist or non-religious, like, they, they kind of, like, cut you off a little bit. And I've, like, I get, like, I get, you know, lots and lots of emails, actually, from people who are going through this. It's very difficult. You know, like, your family cuts you off and uh i was lucky enough not to deal with that really um like my parents made a decision that they would rather like have a relationship with me than take some kind of like principled stand or something Mm -hmm. like in in this area but not everyone is that lucky and uh they end up kind of estranged from their families and their families like say that it's their fault they're like you're doing this why stop it stop doing this to yourself and it's like it's just so abusive you know it is literally like a form of abuse that's sanctioned by many different sects of christianity and i'm sure it goes way beyond christianity but it's just like yeah this this kind of like uh, estrangement that that happens that's just totally one sided and even while they're doing it they're saying that it's your fault you know yeah i know
1: i was definitely pretty angry about it, some of it i don't know looking back i think again not all of it like some of the more you know, abusive stuff, I think is just contemptuous. But I, I do think some people is kind of fear. I, I don't know, maybe I'm different. And because I was actually mm-hmm. like, um, I'd help with like the youth group. I was like teaching Sunday schools and stuff like that. So in a way I was looked up to kind of as an authority. And so I think some people might've just been afraid even more, even more like I would people that are older than me, like in the forties and fifties or something that were smart. Like, it's kind of like, I know, so my pastor, well, so the church that we were going to, when I ultimately, I basically, i left, I kind of had a phase where um, I basically was really angry. I went through an anger phase and kind of left and stopped going. My wife's going to church still. I kind of just withdrew. I don't know if I would mm-hmm. consider myself uh, quite an agnostic then, but uh, and then I kind of reverted. Uh, this is sometimes common where you like walk away and then you kind of revert back for a little bit and then di- it dies. Um, but anyway, when I initially kind of met with him and was like, yeah, I, I don't know if I believe this stuff anymore. And it was just the way that he handled it uh i'll never forget it though cuz he was kind of just like he was like i don't really know what to say to you you like cuz you're going to know everything i'm going to say you know what i mean like I, I like we had talked like theology and like 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 different you know they were more into like the somewhat some versions of like presuppositionalism and stuff like that so like i already know all the tricks like you're not going to get me you know what i mean so like i was kind of he didn't quite know how to handle it um other than just be like well did you you know never truly love jesus or something i was like oh my god but but you know like so other than that um so even that was the pastor And so I'm I'm just empathizing looking back, even though I was really angry. If he was kind of like caught off guard and it's like, I don't know what to tell you. I'm just imagining the people that don't know as much as that might be like kind of afraid, you know what I mean, to engage. So I'm just trying to be nice because I know initially I was kind of very frustrated with how the community handled certain things. But oh, yeah, looking back, I guess that can be nice and say, you know, maybe they're just afraid or something. They don't want to burn,
0: burn in hell. Yeah. Especially if God can like, if he's monitoring your thoughts at all times and like punishes you for doubt or something, which, or if it, if they think that like, cause I'm trying to get back into my own head and it's almost like God would take it personally or something. If you were like openly questioned, you know, or like entertained those doubts, um, you know, he would hold it against you or something. Cause like, if you think you have a personal relationship with God and like, you can talk to him in your head, it's like, you know, there's no privacy there to entertain any doubts. Like he can see everything that you're, that you're thinking and feeling and stuff. So it's like, it's, I can see how some people are just like, don't even go there. It's um, kind of like our church,
1: sorry, our church kind of played, I would say there's some pockets that they they pay lip service to doubt in the sense where it's like, Oh God can handle your doubts, blah, blah, Mm -hmm. blah. Ultimately it's like, kind of like, you know, you can doubt, but just don't doubt too much. You know what I mean? So it's like kind of like, it's really the same as like a normal kind of fundamentalist approach. It's just like, they're just now paying lip service to doubt. And and one of the other things, I don't want to rant too much about it, but it was kind of funny because I had been at the time, like Peter Inns, you know, I don't know if you've read anything by Peter Inns, a biblical scholar. Um, he was at Westminster Seminary, which is a conservative like flagship seminary for the Presbyterian reformed people. But he started, some of his views started to change uh, and he started kind of looking at the Bible differently and having more looser versions of inspiration. And so <laughs> Calvinists hate Peter Inns. So uh, because, <laughs> because he was, he was in the flagship seminary and changed all his mind, changed his mind. And anyway, so I've been reading some of that. Um, and like, so my, at the time when I was really struggling, I was like thinking more about old Testament issues in the sense of like, did the, did the Exodus happen as it's depicted, the conquest narratives, like all these different things. And, um, you know, I did have contact with, with that pastor and I was trying to, I was like, he was like, you know, okay, we can like read a book together or something. I was like, okay, cool. And he's like, well, here are the books we can read, like Richard Bauckham, like, it, like all these different, like, resurrections. And I was like, well, I, I don't have questions about that right now. I want to talk about, like, Old Testament stuff. So, mm-hmm. it's like, even then, it's just, like, trying to control, uh, you've you got to, you know, it's like, no, don't read this, read the stuff that you're actually questioning. Let me just get you back to Jesus with the, you know, Richard Bauckham stuff. And don't worry about that, all your Old Testament questions. It's just a lot of that. I have a lot of frustration with how that all went down. But, you know, I can stop yeah. ranting
0: about that now <laughs> yeah no no i had a similar thing where it's like people want your problems and your doubts to be one thing and like they a lot of the times they don't even want to like hear you out or the, they just kind of assume they already know which is like kind of baffling but like um and we're going to come to this in a minute because i know that you liked that book the reason for god back when you were a christian mm-hmm. but like something i heard so commonly it was just like okay well the thing is the thing that you don't understand emerson is that there's truth Okay, there's real truth, and like it's whether it's there's objective truth. It's not all relative. I'm like, what the fuck are you talking about? Like, why are you <laughs> assuming that I'm a relativist about truth? Like, yeah, it was just so it was so annoying when people would just like assume they know what you think about things and never ask you, and then just like preach at you about how to, you know the, the truth is true whether you believe it or not or something. It's like this is just you know like like it's just so frustrating and it's just totally unproductive and yeah they just they they're not a lot of them are just not prepared to handle this sort of thing it's like you know that's why there's this like designated little um you know group of christians called apologists who like are supposed to handle it you know because it's it's not really even though they pay lip service to it like you said like serious doubt it's just not really a part of like everyday christian life for the people who were like in the pews, you know, where it's just like, well, I I gotta like seriously figure out. I gotta read Graham you know. I gotta like, you know, or even like the God delusion. I I've caught numerous Christians lying about reading the God delusion. <laughs> but um, I just wanted to, before I forget, return to uh to lack theism for for one second. Um, one of my main issues with it, and like, this is not really like a philosophical issue i just don't like when children are brought into these kinds of things because if you're a lactheist, that means that like yeah uh, yes like the cactus is an atheist the fetus is an atheist but like also like and, and like that seems like um a reason to not accept the view to me but like um also like young children are atheists and i just i don't like that kind of thing i don't like when like children are included in these things so when your position entails that 6 year olds are atheists i just get a bit tense you know i i don't like uh catholic five-year-olds i don't think that should be a thing that anyone considers to be a serious idea and i don't like the idea of atheist five-year-olds it's just like i said just leave the kids out of it please yeah. like that's so that's just one little reason like i said i get a bit tense when people um because you know sometimes oh babies are atheist rocks are atheist whatever it's like yeah but also like seven year olds and I just am I, I don't like bringing them into this yeah that's interesting um one last thing before we uh, head out I, I'm uh before we go I'm just gonna brazenly steal the uh, lightning round from Aaron Rabunowitz at Embrace the Void so. I'm going to list things and you're going to have to decide whether they're real or not oh, real. No. You're have to answer <laughs> no. real or not real. So I'm going to name something you have to answer one way or the other. So, uh, as we all know, without God, there is no truth. All atheists think that truth is relative as Timothy Keller explains in his wonderful book. So anyway, even though some of these things are bound to change, uh, we're going to go through this rapid fire session okay. of real or not real. And then maybe if we have time just really quickly before we get going do you have anything you want to say about that god awful book like why did you like that <laughs> <laughs> I think it
1: had to do well I mean I was convinced at the time that um I think one of the for me for some reason the idea that like you need god to ground like objective morality that was a big thing uh for me and so like that kind of kept me within um certain confines for longer than I should have been just because I was convinced by that um and so I know I basically I thought that he did a good job. I mean, now I look back at it and think it's just kind of like he he paints everything very narratively, and he ends everything with Jesus, and so he it's very evangelistic. And so at the time, I was kind of like it seemed like a good book to like I used it to take people through that weren't really interested in these topics. So I would we read a chapter and have a beer with them or something mm-hmm. and like discuss what was ta- so. It seemed for me it was useful in that kind of context where, um, yes, it wasn't super like rigorous, but it was just it was easy to read for someone that um, you know. It's not into that stuff. But at the same time, it seemed to me better than like Frank Turek. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Like, he's still, he's still, he clearly knows more than like Frank Turek. And he's not like butchering too much stuff. And it preached the gospel at the end of every chapter, basically. It was like, well, you know, you talk after talking about like truth, it's like, well, Jesus is the ultimate truth. And you're know, like, that would be a way for me to kind of talk about Jesus and tie Jesus to the thing that we're, you know, so it was, it was an evangelistic tool for me. Um, okay. So that's, that's part of the reason.
0: Well, I mean, I just, cause I flipped through that book um, when I was like going through my deconversion process. Now it's just like, all atheists are relativists that seems to be like the like the main assumption here like i don't know why it just seems like he kept attacking relativism and he's still doing it today i just saw him on twitter the other day where he was just like attacking like atheist relativists and i replied and was just like who are you talking about like name names
1: i think that has to do with it might be i don't know when that book was
0: published but he was
1: yeah he was a pastor in new york for many years and like he would host um like you know, after the sermons, like he would host like engagement with the audience and stuff. And so I don't know if some of that had to do with like a very specific, like kind mm-hmm. of time frame that he was just talking to people and like. But now no one talks like that. So I don't. Know, I think it's like outdated. So I don't. Even at best, I think probably there's like this you know true for me, not true for you, like kind of mentality that maybe he was experiencing when he was in New York and then talking to these people on the ground and just like extrapolating from that that that's like what everyone thinks or something. Like yeah. I don't know if that's what it is, but. Yeah, so basically, like, I don't remember the first half was just, like, common objections to Christianity, and it was like, you know, um, anyway, yeah, it's definitely, there's definitely some chapters in there that I'm just like, yes, obviously, the people I'm talking to are going to agree with this, you know what I mean? I think the first chapter might have been about relativism, I don't remember, it's been a while.
0: Well, who knows what kind of depravities are happening in New York, but all (laughs) all I'm saying is that, like, that was even at the time of, like, New Atheists and stuff, and they weren't saying that. Yeah. That was 2008. Anyway, so, okay, so lightning round. Uh, You're in the hot seat. So, first one, easy one, real or not real, God. Not real. Really? No. (laughs) I'd be really surprised if you answered the other way. Okay, free will.
1: See, I have, I have undeveloped thoughts on this, so I guess I tentatively say, "What do you mean by free will?" Okay, not elaborate. <laughs> you just have to say real or not? <laughs> ah, shit. Um, fuck. <laughs> I guess tentatively, so you gotta define is it the compatibilist. Free? Okay, I'll say real because maybe you could maybe you can interpret compatibilist free will real. Okay,
0: so you're you're kind of in the compatibilist camp at the moment. Mm-hmm. Okay, tentatively. Um, objective morality.
2: Tentative real. Cool, um, an afterlife, not real.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, you never know. You got to ask. Um, society, Soci- uh, Yeah, real? is society real? Yeah, I don't you think it's not. real. Yeah, okay.
2: Some people I, say I, I, not.
1: I don't know. I don't know. I mean, maybe I'm missing something like that about the definition of society. But I mean, I so, guess real.
0: Margaret Thatcher said it wasn't real. Huh. Some people think it's not real. Um, but anyway, okay. The fine tuning problem.
2: Um, if by
1: that you mean like. Like, there is, a, there is a problem with the fine-tuned argument. So, so, you're catching me here, because I haven't... There's so many... Let me just preface this. There's a lot of stuff in philosophy, religion, I still need to think about. But I will go
2: ahead with the lightning round. I'll, I'll say tentative, real. Tentative. Cool.
0: Um, teleology and nature.
2: I've heard you talk about this
1: in a, in a way that atheists could think about it. I would say tentative, real, then. Because I think that was a really interesting, really interesting yeah. approach that you... Because I hadn't actually never heard that framed that way before. And I was like, oh, that makes sense. You could still speak of teleology in nature even if you don't think it's ultimately designed so yeah it's a tentative real
0: oh yeah you're talking about like teleonomic design or something like you were saying I, I forget it. you were saying somewhere i don't know if it was in the debate i hosted
1: you were talking about how there's right. like, a coherent way for atheists to speak of tele- teleology in nature and i was like i think that's actually i hadn't heard a lot about that but it just seemed intuitive to me so again tentative real yeah I'm thinking of it that way
0: well, just to nitpick, there's um. So Azumandius uh, uh, Ramses II made a video, two videos, I think, about teleonomy versus teleology. Okay. So, so maybe. they both they're both about like purpose and design. So okay. like you can have like purpose in nature and design in nature without any teleology. So that would be like teleonomic design, like purpose and um design that's produced by natural selection or something. So you could still coherently, like an evolutionary biologist like Richard Dawkins, could still if you wanted to talk about design and purpose and like the function of this or that, mm-hmm. without ever thinking that there's teleology. Okay, but, so
1: maybe I, I'm. So I guess tentative, not real. I say not real then. Yeah. Whatever. yeah. I, what you just said there, the way he's spelling it out, like you can speak coherently, speak of design in nature without. That's what I mean. That seems attractive to me.
0: Okay, cool. Yeah. Yeah. No, I just wanted to clarify if you were referencing that. Because teleology, if you wanted to be an atheist and believe in teleology, you'd have to go. The only route I've seen is like the Thomas Nagel route in Mind and Cosmos, where he talks about like natural teleology. And that's like way more controversial than teleonomy. But okay. So, uh, so next, real or not real Um, numbers.
1: I guess tentative real. again i have have so much more to think about i don't know
0: this is not Um, hopefully this probably isn't very satisfying no it's i mean like this is excruciating for people because you if you can it's like it's tough to actually like pick a side sometimes and especially i mean i'm glad we're getting you on the record so that way when you change your mind on all this you can apologize for for (laughs) thinking that numbers are real um but okay so social constructions real or not real like that, some things are social constructs. I mean, yeah, are so, do you consider social constructs like do those count as real things? Um, yeah, why not? <laughs> cool. Well, you know, some people say like well, that's just a social construction as if that means it's like not real or something. Uh,
1: yeah, I think it's real. Okay. Uh,
0: human nature,
1: uh, see, I don't know what you mean, but I'd have to ask clarification. I mean, like, that's- are we? biologically disposed towards certain things i mean is that what you No, mean?
0: just i mean however you take it like do you uh are you like a, do you think human nature is like a real thing sure yeah uh, beauty
2: uh i mean i think yeah i think you could say so there's different there's a question of like i'll just say first i'll answer the
1: question tentative real and but also it depends on what you mean like so um i think i haven't read um what's that cosmologist book uh, like the the one that debated William and Craig that beat him. Well, oh, the big Sean picture of Sean. Carrick. Yeah, I haven't read that yet, but I think I've heard basically distilled where like you could talk about ways in certain, talk about things in certain ways and still say it's real, you know, mm-hmm. even if it's not. So I would say, I guess, even if beauty is not an objective thing, I think you could still say it's real if you talk about it in those kind of So I'd say, yes, real. Cool.
0: Okay. The historical Jesus.
1: Um, that a person existed? Yes,
2: real.
0: Okay. Um, okay. So you're not a mythicist? No. Good. Um, okay uh chairs
1: (laughs) i mean yeah i I, again there's probably some context i'm missing here from because i don't read enough philosophy but yeah i I was about to say (laughs) you
0: clearly haven't read enough philosophy if you think this is a straightforward question about whether (laughs) chairs exist yeah i don't Um, uh, very heated debate that will probably never end about (laughs) whether chairs exist (laughs) I mean in a common sense way, sure, but I'm I'm I'm
1: missing a lot of context here just because uh, like I said, I got a lot more reading to do.
0: <laughs> no, dude, I've looped back around to common sense philosophy, chairs are real. Okay. Um last one, phenomenal consciousness.
2: Um
0: can you define how you're using that term? Just the fact that it's like something to be you right now. Yeah, like, I mean, I guess, yeah. Yep. Right. Be completely crazy to deny that, right? Yeah. it would be completely crazy to deny something like that right (laughs) he said directly into the camera Uh, yeah there's something (laughs) there's something that it's like to be me
1: um i that's the thing i think the next thing i want to think about and like i said this is the speed round there's i said at the beginning um i'm very my my main interest i'm mainly focused on sort of like philosophy religion stuff but there's all kinds of other stuff i have barely read anything about so like consciousness is another one where um you know, panpsychism seems interesting to me, and I know that's your main thing, but like, I have not read, and I like, I, have, I, need, I know I need to like, read it or maybe have Philip Goff come on my channel and just talk to me, but there's uh, lots of areas uh, I'm kind of stuck within the philosophy of religion, just because I'm trying to get up to a certain point before I start branching out, if that makes any sense. Like, I want to be conversant mm-hmm. up, up to a point, and then kind of start exploring what I think about all these other kinds of topics, like consciousness and all that other stuff.
2: So, yeah.
0: No, no, that makes sense. I mean, I was just kind of a default, like, reductive materialist for most of my you know adult life i guess i actually i thought i hated philosophy of mind but then i realized i was just like reading the wrong people who were asking questions that were boring and like just the physicalist paradigm just kind of yields like questions and puzzles and stuff that are just not interesting to me and just don't seem like the right questions and then it wasn't until i started seeing some like non-physicalist stuff um outside the context of religion um, some like non physicalist stuff where I was like, oh, yeah, no, this is interesting. This is like way more because like Sam Harris was my introduction to like philosophy of mind. Like when I was mm-hmm. like, you know, a, a, like teenage um, de-convert, I guess, like that's who I was like, that's who I heard about all this stuff for the first time from. And, you know, he's like a fan of like Thomas Nagel and David Chalmers and like they're both non-physicalist atheists. So it's like. The person who, and you know, and Sam Harris is like basically a non-physicalist, his wife definitely is, Annika Harris, but, um, you know, so it's like, I don't know, just the way that these issues were even framed to me in the beginning, like, yeah, and then you go over to the physicalist paradigm, and it's like, wh- what are they even talking about? This is so boring. And then, anyway, it wasn't until I started looking into, um, like, uh, like, non-physicalists when I started even to have an interest in philosophy of mind but yeah no philosophy of religion is cool because it kind of it's like it it touches on like you know every issue in philosophy it feels like sometimes like epistemology philosophy of mind like philosophy of cosmology um you know just like all these different metaphysical areas i'm um kind of blanking on different areas of philosophy right now but like you know it does kind of like touch on everything you know yeah uh that's all that i had is there anything that you want to touch on before we sign off
1: and I can't really think of anything. I think we touched on a lot of topics. So, but thanks, thanks again for having me on. I really enjoyed the conversation.
0: Yeah, no, anytime. And, uh, you know, for people listening to this, I went on your channel a few months back and uh, it inspired me to buy this USB microphone for these types of events because the <laughs> audio quality was legendarily awful. Um, <laughs> uh, I, and I didn't realize that when I was, so I'm just wearing headphones like an idiot and the microphone isn't even like active. <laughs> but um, anyway, yeah, so. Yeah. Thanks for coming on. Uh, You're welcome anytime. And uh, really good to talk to you, man. Thanks for coming. All right. Thank you.